Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Greetings, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson across the Fruited Plain. The phone number 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on this program, very happy to have you. We, we got to talk about, well, some of the absurdities happening on the campaign trail. We're going to be so tired of the 2024 election by the time 2024 rolls around. You just know it. Uh, the the squabbling and yeah, 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 the, the Republican candidates right now. And, and uh, the you know, it's not just the Trump partisans who are very, very uh, sensitive to criticisms. Uh, increasingly, some of the DeSantis supporters are too. Abide no criticism. Although thus far with me, uh, they, they've been more willing to tolerate it. And, but we're going to see more and more of this as partisans start to dig in their heels. What you're also going to see is you're going to see a lot of, I don't care who they nominate. I'm never voting for that guy. After what he said about my candidate, I'll never support him. And then they'll shut up and go support him in the ballot box against Joe Biden because everyone kind of agrees Joe Biden needs to go. And, and that's the thing. This goes back to, to my former listener, Mary, who emailed and said, uh, essentially that um, that the reason Brian Kemp won Georgia is because the Trump supporters had no choice. It was him or Abrams. They had to go vote for him. Yes. And if it's Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, Mike Pence versus Joe Biden, you're going to go vote for them over Joe Biden. You know you will, even though you say you won't. But at the beginning, we begin with the endorsements. I don't know that endorsements matter that much. You know, celebrity endorsements don't matter. I never understood why these Hollywood celebrities rush out and say, I want you to know I'm voting for so-and-so. Like, my kid is a Taylor Swift fan. Taylor Swift wanted it known she was supporting Joe Biden in 2020. My kid still likes Taylor Swift's music, but she's not going to listen to Taylor Swift on a political endorsement. I don't think most people do. I don't think most people care. However, some endorsements are useful. So, for example, uh, you get a lot of people in the legislature to endorse you. Those people have districts. They know the key contacts in those districts. They can arrange meetings for you with people because they're a state legislator. Uh, They're going to be able to open doors for you that others can't. And so people play the field in that regard. And that's happening here and now with uh, the DeSantis team and with the Trump team. And it's kind of funny. So, a third of the Republicans in the Iowa legislature, more than any candidate has ever gotten in the history of the Iowa caucuses, a third of Iowa Republicans have come out and endorsed Ron DeSantis. Now, what's so notable about it uh, is that the DeSantis team then rushed out, or I'm sorry, the Trump team rolled out 150 endorsements of elected and grassroots leaders in Iowa. So DeSantis gets a third of the Iowa legislature Republicans to support him. And then Trump rolls out his list of 150 endorsements, but there's a problem. A number of the people on the list of Trump's endorsements didn't actually endorse him. So former Republican congressional candidate Gary Leffler told Axios News Uh, that his name was on the Trump list, but he was actually at the DeSantis event. (laughs) Um, 
Laura Carlson, Vice President of the Iowa Federation of Republican Women and the Republican Women of Central Iowa, uh, also was surprised to see her name on the list and said she's not a Trump endorser. Uh, and then there was another one whose name was added uh, without a request from the Trump campaign, who right now is going uh, nameless, doesn't want to be involved in the drama. But so the Trump team rushes out a list of endorsements and they're not there. And then the same thing roughly happens in Iowa. So Trump released a list of endorsements in New Hampshire and four of the New Hampshire Republicans who endorsed Donald Trump just 19 days ago have now come out and said, actually, we're endorsing Ron DeSantis and he's got 50 endorsements of state legislators in New Hampshire, which is also kind of funny. Um, in late April, Juliet Harvey Balea, Republican New Hampshire state representative, was one of dozens of elected officials to endorse Donald Trump. On Tuesday, officials that never backed down the super PAC backing Ron DeSantis said Harvey Balea is throwing her support to their guy. She's one of four New Hampshire legislators. The others are Brian Cole, Lisa Smart, and Deborah DeSimon, who have flipped from Trump to DeSantis in the last 19 days. DeSantis now has 51 of those legislators. Again, this is notable for DeSantis. He's got more Iowa state legislators endorsing him than anyone who's ever run in the Iowa primary has gotten. And same in New Hampshire. He's got more New Hampshire state legislators endorsing him than anyone who's ever run. Can that hold up, though? I mean, here's the thing. Uh, Ted Cruz won Iowa. Uh, Rick Santorum won Iowa. Uh, Mike Huckabee won Iowa. None of them became the nominee of the GOP. Winning Iowa doesn't amount to jack, frankly. Uh, I, I'm not sure why we have the Iowa caucuses. Just like the Democrats, it, it, it doesn't make sense. The If a Republican wins Iowa and then wins New Hampshire, the odds of them becoming the nominee are very good, but very often that doesn't happen. Someone wins Iowa, someone wins New Hampshire, and it doesn't really matter. You go to South Carolina, South Carolina settles it. That's the way the primaries work for the GOP. You go Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. DeSantis can win Iowa, and it doesn't matter. Pence can win Iowa. Pence is laying the groundwork in Iowa. Pence is, is trying to get a massive swell of evangelical supporters to back him. He's hired a, a team of evangelicals to work with him. Uh, he's plugged into that community, and you got um, you, you've got Iowa with DeSantis, and you got Iowa with Pence. Trump has never been able to crack Iowa. Um, the polling in Iowa is not good for him, but it is actually very good for him in New Hampshire. So he could go to New Hampshire and say Iowa doesn't matter. South Carolina is going to be divided. You've got Haley and Scott there. You've got Trump leading the two of the two of them combined have more support than Trump. But Trump has more support than them overall. That one's going to be an interesting one as well. Uh, it, it's just it's a fascinating shakeup. And, and for DeSantis now to come in and get these endorsements, one of the things that has happened over the last month or so is that the uh, media commentary on DeSantis got very negative. He waited too long. Trump got the better of him. He had bad weeks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. To some degree, however, that might have wound up perversely helping DeSantis. And in fact, was talking to someone the other day who's with an outside super PAC connected to the Trump team, and that's kind of their concern, is that um, he now, let's see, here. what do we know about him? He's not good on the campaign trail. State legislators and congressmen don't like him. He's not very personable. He's kind of on the spectrum. He's not firing on all cylinders. His campaign's not adaptive 
They're they're reactionary. They're not proactive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Suddenly he shows up in Iowa. He's flipping burgers, having a good time with people, laughing it up with the common man. He's got uh, more legislators endorsing him in Iowa and New Hampshire than any Republicans have ever had before. He uh, pivots and goes to Des Moines when he wasn't supposed to go to Des Moines after Trump cancels. Glad hands it up with people at a local barbecue joint, has his wife on the campaign trail. All of the, the expectations the media lowered – DeSantis has now very easily jumped over them. This is always one of the dangers in campaigns. It's like the debate stuff. You know when candidates go into debates, uh, you, you try to build up the opponent and tear yourself down. Well, you know, my opponent, he was on the Harvard debate team. He's a very good debater. And, you know, I've, I've, I've never been in politics before. I, I, I've never had to do a formal debate. So I'm, I'm doing my best. But, you know, I do think that, that he's, he's probably going to do okay in the debate, given his background on the Harvard debate team. And he was a lawyer in law school and debated in Congress. And I've never done any of that. And then he goes in and, and, and he just puts words coherently together. And they say, oh, my gosh, Joe Blow won the debate because he didn't stumble. You want to raise the other guy's expectations and lower your expectations. And instead, what the Trump team with DeSantis is they really lowered expectations for DeSantis. Well, the guy doesn't get along with anyone. Members of Congress hate his guts. The Florida legislators hate his guts. He's not very personable. He's not good with people. He doesn't like the crowd. He's not engaged with people. He's bad on the stuff. I mean, they said all of these things about DeSantis. So all DeSantis had to do was go out with a group of people, laugh it up, flip some burgers, put some sentences together, and suddenly it's like, oh, my gosh, he blew away expectations. And, in fact, that's exactly how the media is now covering it. It's kind of funny. Even Axios notes that this kind of happened. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis got the contrast he desperately needed this weekend in Iowa. Former President Trump's no-show provided a jolt of momentum in an early primary state key to DeSantis's presidential fortunes. DeSantis flipped burgers at an annual picnic hosted by Representative Randy Finstra, a Republican of Iowa, clearing a bar lowered by months of speculation about his comfort with retail politics. Who lowered the bar for DeSantis? That would be the Trump team. It's just kind of funny. Meanwhile, on the Democratic side, boy, do they have problems as well. This is from The Messenger, new political site, uh, Amy Parnas. The campaign to turn Kamala Harris's fortunes around. Democrats are aiming to shore up the vice president standing ahead of the 2024 election. As President Biden gears up for re-election amid growing concerns about his age and stamina, Democrats are working to shore up his running mate's shaky reputation. Recently, the White House has explored ways to elevate Vice President Kamala Harris's image. Two of the vice president's top aides, Stephanie Young and Kirsten Allen, joined broader Republican or White House meetings late last month with television analysts and strategists, three attendees told The Messenger. During a couple of those sessions, some attendees asked about boosting Harris's profile over the next two years. She did not walk into the job credentialed, and there's an acknowledgement that it needs to happen, says one attendee. Wait one minute. She did not walk into the job credentialed? You mean she was the uh, prosecutor for San Francisco, the attorney general of California, the United States senator of California, and somehow she's not credentials? For Pete's sake, Barack Obama went from state senator to U.S. senator to the White House. No one squabbled about credentials there. Harris had a tumultuous start of the administration. 
struggling to find her footing on key policy issues and retain staff, causing a long-running narrative of instability in her orbit. Now, Democrats who have been underwhelmed by Harris's performance as vice president wonder if she has what it takes to take on a more prominent role effectively. People in the Democratic caucus had such high hopes for the vice president after she was elected, said one Democratic lawmaker on Capitol Hill. It's been a huge fall over two years, and I don't think that was inevitable. There were a lot of self-inflicted wounds. Yes, and that's the problem. No one is comfortable with Kamala Harris on the campaign trail for Joe Biden. Because she'll do the cackles. <laughs> I mean, that's how she laughs. And this is this is Kamala Harris on the campaign trail. Vice President Harris, did you see the person run over by her motorcade? <laughs> No, I mean, this is, that's what she does. Ask her any uncomfortable question. It's like a tell. I don't play poker because I'm sure I would give the game away. Kamala Harris sure as heck could not play poker because she's got that tell. She puts some cards in her hands and all of a sudden, <laughs> I mean, she sounds like an AK-47 that's slightly jammed trying to fire bullets. I mean, she's just, she's got the cackle. And it's not going to work for her. And everybody knows it's not going to work for her. The Biden White House, she says she's not credentialed. She came to the job not credentialed. No one comes to the job credentialed. But you get the title and you use the title. And she can't because she cackles. For all the problems Republicans have. For all the fighting among the Republicans. Just... Keep in mind that Joe Biden has two problems. He's over 80, and he has cackles as his vice president. Oh, and a recession is coming. I keep having friends tell me they realized I was right. Every time you wash sheets from Bowling Branch, they get softer and softer. They're the most luxurious sheets. The highest quality, incredible craftsmanship with just unmatched softness, 100% traceable organic cotton. It gets softer with every wash. I tell you guys that it's true. I can tell you it's a big difference, and I have bought different pairs of sheets to try to find some best. I keep coming back to my Bowling Branch sheets. They're incredible. They're buttery to the touch, super breathable. They're perfect for cooler weather and warmer weather. Why the drape? You actually feel like you've got something of substance on you so you can snuggle in, but you don't get overwhelmingly hot in the during the summertime, and it's just the perfect weight under the blanket as well during the wintertime. I love Bowling Branch sheets. They're so luxurious. They're loved by four U.S. presidents. Got over 10,000 raving reviews. Right now, get 15% off your first order when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BowlingBranch.com. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Greetings. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Um, I want to kind of play you this audio. Jim Banks, friend of mine, going to be the next senator from Indiana, I hope. We were going to have him at the gathering in August, but his kids start school uh, that weekend or that week, so he can't make it. I was hoping to get him there, but he just had this exchange with the education secretary, Secretary Cardona. Listen to this. This just happened. Um, Indiana, my home state, recently passed a law at the state legislature that banned biological males from competing against girls in high school and elementary sports because obviously biological males have some physical traits that would give them an advantage in sports over girls. 
The Education Department, your department, uh, proposed a rule change that would pull federal funding from schools that don't allow biological males to compete against girls, girls uh, in sports. Mr. Secretary, yes or no, do, does that mean that, you're, that your department would take away school lunch programs for needy kids because a state or a school won't allow a boy to compete against a girl in the sports? So uh, going back to the civics, if I could. Uh, no, no, I, I'm are, asking you a question. Are you, are, do you support taking away school lunches from kids who go to schools where boys aren't allowed to play on girls' sports teams? We are promoting a, the most rigorous, intensive academic programming under the Raise the Bar. I would love to share more do information. Do you support taking away a school lunch from a needy kid, a kid who might, it might be the only warm meal they get every single day, because that school won't allow a boy to compete on a girls' sports team? I'm proud of the work we're doing. It's a yes or no question, Mr. Secretary. I'm proud of the work we're doing to make sure that all students Madam feel Chair, safe the in answer, school. Madam Chair, the answer is yes. This administration would take away school lunches from kids who need that lunch, maybe the only warm meal that might, they might ever get because of the radical agenda of, of this administration. I yield back. My goodness. Uh, they could not answer the question, did not want to answer the question. The reason they don't want to answer the question is because the polling out there is terrible for them on this issue. Uh, look, I understand. I, I, I get it. I really do. I know there are progressives who believe that boys should be able to compete against girls. Uh, they they really do believe that uh, that puberty blockers are kind of fungible. You can just stop taking them and things will be fine. Although the scientific research, if you actually read the scientific research from the scientists, says otherwise. But also, boys, once they cross puberty and begin producing testosterone and uh, get more muscular, tend to, yes, have competitive advantages that even those advantages remain once they've transitioned, but I get it. Nonetheless, despite all the actual science, not the the reports from the women and gender studies crowd that uh, progressives support this stuff. The fact that they do, though, doesn't mean it's right. And what's so notable is that the polling, I have seen the polling among women, even self-described liberal women, they don't like the idea of their daughters having to compete against boys in sports. And they don't like the idea, they don't believe the idea that sex is somewhat fungible, that you can just pick and choose, that today I identify as a girl, therefore I'm a girl. They don't buy it. The, the data out there is pretty bad. Even the Washington Post is starting to do research and reports on how parents do not like this idea. That's why the Secretary of Education cannot answer the question about depriving kids of school funding if they don't allow boys and girls sports. He doesn't want to say it's what they want because it's so unpopular. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I just, a word here for a moment. Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. You know, used to be a big thing, uh, but the people who run Sports Illustrated have gone woke, and they are putting on one of their covers Martha Stewart, 80-something-year-old Martha Stewart in a swimsuit, and also a trans woman. I don't know whether you'll be able to see the bulge or not. Um, those are their 
cover models. Uh, this reminds me of the Bud Light thing, and 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 like the 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 wokes are are having a moment, aren't they? That it's you you must accept, and if you don't accept, you're a bigot, and it's you're you're awful, and no one should see the problem. Uh, y'all, you may not like the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. You you may you may find it semi pornographic. You may find it vulgar, misogynistic, whatever. But it's the freaking swimsuit edition. If you're going to own the swimsuit edition, own the swimsuit edition. You put scantily clad uh, female models who are attractive, not overweight, not elderly, and not with a bulge in their in their bikini bottom on the uh, on it. I mean, otherwise it's not the it's not the swimsuit edition. It's some other garbage and it is garbage. It's like the Bud Light nonsense of, of Dylan Mulvaney. I mean, one transgender activist, one of the most obnoxious ones at that, putting his face on a beer can, claiming he's a she and the rest of us are bigots and we don't like it. Now I see online Heckler & Coke. Heckler & Coke is a gun manufacturer. I own several of their guns. I own one of their ARs. I own, uh, I think, two of their handguns. They got some woman, uh, woman splaining guns to people online about how you don't need uh, women in bikinis with guns to sell guns. Yes, you do. It's what men want. I'm sorry, but this is the larger problem here. And you can say it's misogynistic. You can say it's sexist, whatever you want. But the fact of the matter is a normal red-blooded American man likes to look at a good-looking woman. It's just the truth. And you can sell a man anything by putting it in the hands of a good-looking woman. You want a man to, like, be sold prostate exams on a daily basis? Have a woman sell it to them, and by God, they're going to go in every day, drop trowel, bend over, and have a good time because it's a good-looking woman who sold it to me. It's the reality of marketing. The idea that men are not men, that men are just just women with, with appendages in their pants is kind of nonsense. It really is nonsense. And, and the, the whole woke marketing scheme of we're going to make men feel guilty about being men. We're going to make moms feel guilty about being moms. We're going to suggest that dads can be moms and moms can be dads and everything is interchangeable. And if you don't like it, you're the problem. It just ruins everything. You know, it, it's more absurd than the Lexus commercials. You know the Lexus commercial. The only man who buys his wife a brand new car for Christmas and puts a giant bow on top and parks it outside without getting her permission on which car to buy beforehand and surprising her is a sociopath. No man goes out and buys a car for his wife without her input or he is no longer a man because his wife takes the Ginsu knife he got her the last Christmas and uses it accordingly. I don't, I've never understood the ads. Oh, my husband got me a car. I'm so surprised. I had no input whatsoever in this vehicle down to the color, the make, the model, or anything else. But I'm going to smile real big until I get the Ginsu knife and do a Lorena Bobbitt on him when he goes to sleep as payback for not getting me the car I wanted. It makes no sense, these ads. And it's the wokes who do even the worse ads now. The, the, the Bud Light nonsense or the, the, the woman with the bulge in her bikini on the Sports Illustrated swimsuit cover. Is that a banana in your pants or what? I just find the whole concept like, like this is insane.
our society is now being run by a group of insane people, and they are in marketing culture. They they have the wokes have invaded marketing, and you know what's actually happening here. I, I so I was in a closed door meeting a couple of weeks ago. I guess can I talk about? I I will talk about this. Forgive me if I'm not supposed to say it, but a lot of chief executive officers of major companies in this country are no longer in control of their businesses. And if it looks like the uh, the, the companies are being held hostage by the wokes, they kind of are. So this is for the briefing, and, and I, I didn't realize uh, that, that this is actually happening, and yet I, I got to see the evidence for it, and it's true. So companies were pressured by progressive groups through the ESG agenda to form uh, chief diversity officer roles. So you hire a chief diversity officer to satisfy your ESG score. The chief diversity officer then wants to make sure that the marketing is in compliance with the diversity goal and you get all the woke stuff. And if the CEO says this is actually bad for us, we should not do this, the chief diversity officer calls the CEO a racist and quits. That causes the board of directors to fire the CEO. The CEO is labeled a racist and out of a job. The chief diversity officer in the network of DEI gets a very cushy job elsewhere, maybe at an academic institution, maybe at a think tank, maybe at a consulting firm. The chief diversity officer gets taken care of by the DEI consultants, and the CEO is out of a job labeled a racist and can't find a job again. I mean, did you notice in the Bud Light stuff, you have the American CEO. He, he was in the military. He worked in the CIA. He's They call him internally Captain America. He's this good-looking 40-something-year-old guy who is friends with Donald Trump Jr. He didn't call out the nonsense. You would think that that guy, given his pedigree and background, is horrified by it, but he can't call out the nonsense because he would get labeled a transphobe, and the European conglomerate that owns Anheuser-Busch would fire him. Meanwhile, the, the diversity pick who became the marketing executive, she's going to be taken care of just fine. You've got the Sports Illustrated stuff. There's been a war on Sports Illustrated doing the swimsuit edition for years. It's misogynist. I'm sorry. It's the feminists who say it. So Morgan's like, it's misogynistic. How dare they treat us women that way? Deep-voiced women in comfortable shoes upset across the nation about the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, embedded DEI agents within Sports Illustrated, and now they got a a, a, a chick with a, well, <laughs> nearly said it, a, a male appendage on the, on, on the cover. And Martha Stewart, so you can either get a, a um, dude in a bikini on the cover, or you can get a senior citizen on the cover. That's your pick for the sorts of sports that they're trying to kill off the product. They've been trying for a while to kill off the product. This just, I mean, what was it last year? They had the fat women on the cover of it. I'm sorry, y'all, but uh, Lizzo and the like trying to glorify fat is beautiful. I say this as a fat person. It's not healthy. It's not something that should be celebrated. I'm trying to lose weight. I realize it's hard to lose weight. I'm trying. 
but to claim it, it's normal and you should be proud like the Gatorade ad. The Gatorade ad putting the fat chick doing yoga in it. I'm sorry, it's not something we want to see and it's not something you should glorify. Why? Because obesity leads to all sorts of problems, health problems. Saying it's normal and, and it's fine actually isn't. It leads to joint problems. It leads to cardiovascular problems. It leads to blood pressure problems. It can lead to all sorts of problems. And to say, oh no, it's a, it's a lifestyle choice, yes because you're eating a lot. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You got to cut it out and change your diet, even if you don't want to. Apparently at my age, the beer and pizza diet isn't healthy for me anymore. So I'm having to make the change. I'm not out there saying I'm fat and I'm beautiful. Celebrate me. I should be on the cover. Nobody wants to see my fat behind on the cover of a swimsuit and cover model, whatever. Nobody wants to see that. And yet the DEI people think we're supposed to see it. No, you're not supposed to see it and you're not supposed to be proud of it. You're supposed to get in shape, diet, lose weight, save healthcare costs for your family. And then the other stuff, I mean, at some point I realize we're going to get out of it. At some point, the the fire burns itself out. There's no more kindling left. It's done damage, but how many people are going to be destroyed along the way? How many lives will be ruined? How many people will be canceled? You know, I'm a fan of Dave Chappelle. If you listen to the show, you you know I'm a fan of Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle had a surprise stand-up routine in San Francisco the other day. I read the review of it in in the San Francisco uh, magazine. And the guy who ran the review was the, I just, I felt so guilty laughing at Dave Chappelle because he's a transphobe and he didn't make transphobe jokes. He just dog whistled around it in San Francisco. And I was appalled that I see why people liked it. And I was horrified that I and they laughed at Dave Chappelle. How dare we, how dare him for making us laugh at him. They can't find anything funny. That, remember that Hannah Gadsby woman, she's apparently back with the whole stand-up routine on how she tricked some Christian baker into making her a birthday cake. Woohoo! Very brave of you, Hannah. She had the Netflix special that wasn't funny, and suddenly humor, uh, humorless comedy is the new comedy. She didn't make people laugh. She made people miserable, and you were a bigot if you didn't like it. This stuff eventually runs out of fuel. This stuff eventually goes away. But how much damage does it do in the process? You got Jim Banks, congressman from Indiana, will be the senator from Indiana, questioning the secretary of education about kids who go to a public school. The public school says boys can't be on girls' sports. And so what does the secretary of education do? Say, well, then the kids in that school must starve. We're not giving them free lunches. If their schools won't allow boys to be on the girls' sports teams, we won't give them food and the children will starve and we will punish everyone as opposed to just the girls who have to compete against the boys. It's the silent victims of all of this that matter. What model didn't get her break? She couldn't be on the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition cover because she wasn't ancient of days or didn't have a penis. What, what, what girl was punished because a boy decided he wanted to be the cover model. And so he got breast implants, grew his hair out. This madness has a lot of victims, not just the ones who are deluded into thinking they can do it, 
but also a lot of other people who were punished, set aside, canceled, or otherwise harmed or jeopardized because they refused to go along with the madness. And it has invaded the media marketing spaces where all this stuff is supposed to be normalized. Disney does it. Sports Illustrated does it. Multiple corporations do it. The entire DEI apparatus feeds on it. And you know, by the way, it's gotten such a bad name now, much like they used to do with Common Core where they changed the name. It's not Common Core. It's Community Core. Now they're changing diversity, equity, inclusion to diversification. They're changing the name. Still going to have all sorts of fallout. It's still worth arguing against. It's still such a stupid idea. And the people who advocate it really are the insane people. It's just the insane people have taken over the asylum. And all you normal people out there, you're the ones they want to make you feel crazy. Don't give in to the insanity. Don't give in to stinky air either. You can go to EdenPureDeals.com today, put Eric in, and get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. And it may not be able to get rid of the bad ideas in society, but the bad air, it can wipe it out. It can deodorize your house if it stinks. Pet odors, litter box odors, smoke odors, musty odors, wipes them out. It also gets rid of the pollen and the dust floating in the air. It's an air purifier. It's filterless. You just wipe it out on occasion, and it works. It eliminates bad odors. That's how I use it. I don't actually use it for the pollen and the dust. I use it for the odor elimination. So you stay in a stinky hotel room or have a rental car someone smoked in. You can use a USB cord to plug it up or plug it straight into the wall. Leave it. It wipes out those odors. Litter box odors, wipes them out. Pet odors, wipes them out. Got a stinky dog, wipes out those odors. Doesn't clean the dog, though. And if you're like me, you got a kitchen without an exhaust vent, it will wipe out the frying odors, the fishy odors, you name it. It really does work. Get three of them for less than $200. EdenPureDeals.com. EdenPureDeals.com. Put Eric in, E-R-I-C-K as your discount code. Get three Eden Pure Thunderstorm for less than $200. Howdy. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. So there's a race today. For gubernatorial primary in Kentucky, Andy Bashir is the Kentucky governor. He's a liberal Democrat. Uh, and one of the most infuriating things about him, but it's smart politics, i got to give it to him, is the Kentucky state legislature has a supermajority of Republicans. So the Republicans pass things like transgender sports bans. Bashir vetoes them. And Republicans override the veto. And then Bashir says, well, parents, you're safe from having boys and girls sports in Kentucky. Tries to take the credit for it. One of the weirdest things that I learned in Kentucky when I went up to Louisville uh, is that Louisville does not have a state police department. Uh, the Louisville, Kentucky Police Department is under a consent decree with the Department of Justice for violations of civil rights and other things. And uh, has a diminished police presence, has crime issues in predictable parts of the city. And does not have a state police presence there. So the attorney general in Kentucky, Daniel Cameron, who's running today and probably going to be the Republican nominee, and he'd be great if he is. He made news a couple of weeks ago while I was in Louisville by claiming on my buddy Scott Jennings podcast that if he's governor, he would get a state police presence in Louisville. Andy Bashir, the governor there, responded by saying, well, this would be terrible for rural Kentucky because instead of creating a new post, he just interpreted it as, well, he will gut rural Kentucky's police presences and put them in Louisville. Never mind, Louisville has way more crime than these rural parts of, of Kentucky, but you don't have to gut rural Kentucky's police forces. You just hire more police and put the state police presence in Louisville. But these are the sorts of things Andy Bashir does. He's very popular, though. He's one of the most popular governors 
of a Democratic uh, governors who were in a state Donald Trump went to. Uh, you got John Bell Edwards in Louisiana, who is a Democratic governor, term limited now, uh, in a state Donald Trump won. He's not nearly as popular as Bashir, but the Republicans have done really well there. If they get Daniel Cameron, Dan- Daniel Cameron, African-American, uh, and he is a he gets along well with Rand Paul. He's seen as a Mitch McConnell sort of guy. Donald Trump supported him. I, I, Donald Trump and I see eye to eye on this. In fact, DeSantis came out today and endorsed Kelly Kraft. She's uh, you was the UN ambassador after Nikki Haley. She'd be fine, but Daniel Cameron's the future, and she's not really. She'd be a fine governor uh, and candidate. She's very very wealthy though, and I think Bashir could play against her harder than he could a guy like Daniel Cameron. I'm fascinated by the outcome, though, because if Cameron wins, he kind of is the future of a more diverse GOP. You've also got a guy in Kentucky running O.J. Oleka. He is the running for treasurer. There are several people in the race, um, but he's a fascinating young guy, worked for the state treasurer, is a Republican. His family are natives of Nigeria, and he is running an anti-ESG campaign. Uh, just fascinating races to keep, keep your eye on, a, a number of municipal races around the country as well. We'll find out tomorrow how Kentucky goes. There's no runoff in Kentucky, so you can get 30% and still win. Um, I suspect Daniel Cameron will get more of the polls look good for him. I've invited him to the gathering. Uh, but what is notable about this race is that DeSantis came out today and lined up with a lot of other prominent national Republicans and endorsed Kelly Kraft. Uh, Kraft, of course, uh, this is the what Kraft Boat family, not the uh, Kraft Mac and Cheese family, has a lot of money, could uh, write him a big check. He's endorsed her at the end, and uh, Trump endorsed Daniel Cameron before anybody else was in the race. We'll see how this shapes out. I suspect Cameron wins. I hope Cameron wins. Kraft would be good. Randy Quarles, uh, don't think he's got what it takes. But keep your eye on Kentucky. We'll have news out of there tomorrow when we come back. Y'all have a great afternoon.